Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and my wife is at the pharmacy uh, trying to keep it open. So I love that. And I, I just can't praise my wife enough for being such a hard worker while I while I travel all over the country and, and get to interview great people like we have on today. So um, today, you don't want to miss out. Um, Dr. Lee Valit, uh, who is an expert in fertility, um, women's health. She's been doing that for over 40 years. She's um, also a member of the Truth for Health Foundation and did a great interview, uh, I believe last week, um, with um, a few doctors about the COVID vaccine and how it affects fertility and the ovaries. And I want to get into that today because there's a lot going on in that area right now. And I want to provide some truth to our listeners and viewers. So um, Dr. Lee, without further ado, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us what your background is and um, why you feel you're qualified to talk about this subject. Thank you, Sean. I have some allergies. So if I'm coughing a little bit. My voice is a little raspy. I apologize. <laughs> um, I, my background is in preventive and climacteric medicine. And I've really spent 35 years working at the interface of normal medical conditions and reproductive endocrinology with the way in which beyond fertility, all of the hormones from the ovaries and testicles actually affect all of our organ systems and our health in many ways. Most of the specialty focus here in the US actually has been on how ovarian dysfunction for women can lead to infertility. And if a woman is not trying to get pregnant, then nobody much pays attention to what's happening with her ovarian hormones that affect other things like migraine headaches or muscle pain or mood swings or bone loss or heart disease risk, uh, weight gain, all, uh, all kinds of things. And the same is true with men. You know, urologists will see an older man for erectile problems, but and they'll check a testosterone level for that, but they don't look at the fact that in primary care, for example, low testosterone in men increases the risk of diabetes and beer belly, weight gain around the middle, and low energy, muscle loss, just feeling run down and tired, and brain fog for men and women when their hormones are too low. And, and so it's, it, these are many other important and actually really critical health issues that affect our quality of life as well as our risk of later serious disease. And that's what I've been working with for 35 years from puberty to late life. And so that leads into how I was felt it was so critical to do the stop the shot press conference recently with top experts on what the COVID shots were doing to the reproductive system for men and women. And that, that means from babies developing in the mother's womb during pregnancy when 
pregnant women get this experimental shot, all the way up to older men and women who have their testicles and ovaries affected by the inflammatory complications of these experimental shots. And no one's talking about this. So we did a whole press conference on it with top experts in toxicology with Dr. Mike Yeadon. He, he's a Pfizer former vice president and chief scientific officer who is absolutely alarmed by what he has uncovered going back at least 10 years in the pharmaceutical company research about nanoparticles effects on the ovaries and testicles, as well as what he's uncovered in other ways of reproductive damage, such as the placental protein that women need. We'll talk about that. And then I had a maternal fetal medicine specialist talking about the adverse effects of the COVID shot on the baby and the mother during pregnancy, and a reproductive immunologist, cardiologist, pathologist. I mean, we really covered the gamut of highly credentialed experts internationally known with hundreds of peer-reviewed published papers in the field related to all of this all of whom have been trying to get to the public with warnings about the serious disruption in our health from the long-term damage of the inflammatory and blood clot reactions with the experimental COVID shots. Thank you for that. Great introduction. And tell me a little bit about these interviews, because I just recently came across a post on Facebook how um, there are government federal health organizations that are recommending that this vaccine is safe in pregnancy. And I, I have no idea how that can be. I know as a pharmacist, um, I consider myself an expert in drugs. That's what a pharmacist does. And we have never in the history of any kind of medication ever recommended a drug is safe in pregnancy until it has been studied extensively. Can you talk on that a little bit? Absolutely, Sean. They they literally, with this FDA decision on these experimental vaccines and CDC and ACOG of all people, I mean, I'm, I'm just shocked that an organization that has always taken such a conservative stance on using anything in pregnancy, <laughs> there'd been years and sometimes decades of study about safety, suddenly just jumped absolutely went off the cliff in recommending that these experimental shots are safe in pregnancy when we had zero, zero safety data from the clinical trials because pregnant women were excluded. The pharmaceutical companies knew it was risky in pregnancy. They excluded pregnant women as they should have. And then suddenly they turn around and after it's launched, then they start pushing it into pregnant women. This is unconscionable and never, as you said, never has it been done in the history of modern medicine. In fact, women, I, I mean, I'm shocked because over my career, literally, I have had hundreds of women 
saying to me that they would not even have a glass of wine or right. be in a room where someone's smoking, much less smoke themselves, because of fear of damaging the baby. And they're jumping into this experimental shot without knowing a word about safety. It, it is truly, it, it's shocking. I, I honestly, as a physician, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around not only the absolute malfeasance on the part of CDC, FDA, and ACOG on when physicians, when people in authority and power are misusing their power to mislead the public into dangerous actions, that's malfeasance. And for them to do that with jeopardizing a pregnant woman and her developing baby, I really think rises to some of the worst malfeasance that I've seen in my career. I agree. So have you seen, I know you interviewed on the Truth for Health Foundation, um, a, a doctor that talked about um, the, um, the risk in pregnancy. Are we seeing any um, side effects from women that have gotten the shot um, that were pregnant? Are we seeing anything from that yet? Absolutely. Can you tell us about that? In the under-reporting of complications in VAERS, and that under-reporting may be on the order of a hundred times less than what is actually happening based on studies from Harvard in 2010, where the Harvard analysis showed that VAERS was only capturing approximately 1% of the adverse events. So we could be looking at a hundred times this number, but just on adverse effects in pregnancy alone, the latest figure in VAERS that I saw recently was over 3,000. Now that can be miscarriages during pregnancy coupled with the death of the baby. But in my own practice, I have had several patients whose daughter or who themselves had a pregnancy that they lost the baby after the vaccine. I mean, this this is just unconscionable. I, I cannot believe this is happening. I've, I've never seen this in the history of medicine where a medication is used in pregnancy. I mean, this is like, in my opinion, it could be negligent. Oh, I, mean, I don't think there's any question. It's, it is gross medical malpractice. And I honestly think that when the truth, as the Truth Foundation initiative is working hard to do, when the truth really comes out and families are outraged and we have finally, we find some lawyers with some courage to stand up and sue, I absolutely think the doctors who have recommended this, as Dr. McCullough said so powerfully, those doctors will walk a, a walk of shame and they deserve to be sued for medical malpractice on recommending this, especially in pregnancy. And I'm gonna give your listeners some very specific information on a couple of points related to pregnancy itself. Number one, we have a third press conference that will be on our website today, August, this today is August 26, 2021. 
and your listeners need to access the press conference on truthforhealth.org today. I have whistleblowers, critical care nurses, outpatient nurses who are giving us poignant stories of what they are seeing boots on the ground on the front lines with the damages from these COVID shots. I have a critical care ICU VA nurse, a man who's had combat experience, and he said, this is just devastating what I'm seeing. I have a critical care nurse who is has written to Senator Johnson with her concern about what is happening in the hospitals. She talked about labor and delivery nurses in her hospital who are describing a dramatic increase in pregnancy deaths of the baby, placenta abruption, which is life-threatening to the baby when the placenta breaks away prematurely from the uterus and the baby has no blood supply. And it, it's an absolute life-threatening emergency. Severe postpartum hemorrhages that have been difficult to control. This nurse, it, it makes you absolutely weep to hear what she's talking about. Then there's a hospitalist PA talking about her experiences with what's happening to patients. And, and an outpatient case manager nurse who is compiling information from many of her nursing colleagues. I mean, what they are describing is absolutely mind boggling that this is allowed to continue with no intervention. This press conference starts off with all of those eyewitness healthcare professionals who are risking their, their jobs and their lives actually to come forward and speak out to warn the public. And then we have vaccine experts and Dr. McCullough and others talking about the FDA rulings and how, how they have just played a shell game of subterfuge and deception with the public. So, so that's the frontline workers talking about it. In our second press conference, which is also on our website, Dr. Mike Yeadon, who is a toxicologist and professional research scientist with 32 years in pharma research and drug development, knows drug discovery process, how you evaluate new drugs and vaccines and agents, and how you undertake proper safety trials. He's the one who raised the alarm about the nanoparticle damage to the ovaries and testes. But he also raised the alarm with Dr. Vodarg in Germany about the risk of the inflammation to the spike protein triggered by these gene therapy COVID shots. And that spike protein is similar in structure to the placental protein naturally made in the mother's body that is absolutely critical for a placenta to develop, to start a pregnancy and to sustain it. And he raised that alarm last October 
we're coming up almost a year ago, he raised that alarm and it was, he was demonized and attacked and maligned and defamed because he tried to warn the public. And this use in pregnancy has continued unabated and in fact expanding. And just recently, there was a study done in women who were vaccinated that showed rising levels after vaccination to this placental protein of antibodies that were attacking it. So getting the COVID shot triggers a woman's body to make antibodies to the natural protein in the body that you need to make a placenta. So if you're not pregnant and you get the shot, you are going to have a risk, Predict, I mean, potentially, you don't know, but potentially you have a risk of even being able to make a placenta when you do want to get pregnant. If you're already pregnant and there's an autoimmune attack by the body on the placenta of an established pregnancy, it triggers the placenta to break down, which leads to miscarriage. Wow. Dr. Stricker talked about, Dr. Strick, Raphael Stricker at the Allen Beer Center for Reproductive Medicine in Los Gatos, California, has spent a career doing research on reproductive immunology. What are the autoimmune reactions that cause early miscarriage? And any autoimmune reaction that affects the body's ability for a woman to maintain the placenta causes early miscarriage. There, there are other causes of that. So he studied that his whole career. He presented at our press conference and was saying, yes, this is a huge risk with this COVID shot. So wow. it's the pregnancy effect that is damaged by these COVID shots. If you're pregnant already, it's even worse. If, if you're not pregnant, it potentially and very seriously affects your ability to become pregnant and sustain it. But then there's the whole additional attack on fertility with attack of the nanoparticles and spike protein damage on the testicles in men and the ovaries in women. Why don't we show your audience the graphic that I shared with you from a study by Chinese researchers. And I realize this is a complicated chart, but I'm going to walk your listeners through it very quickly. The, this study was published in 2018. Okay. That's three years from the time now that the FDA rushed into approving the, the shot. And we'll talk about all their subterfuge with that. But Three years ago, we knew from the Chinese research team in this article, this is the International Journal of Nanomedicine. It is in the references in the Pregnancy and Fertility Fact Sheet on our website. And it shows they made it really easy for people to understand the blue 
are all of the areas of damage on the testicle in men. Testes, structure, function, sperm, motility and function, hormone production, testosterone, all aspects of male testicular function that affects fertility and your overall health are damaged by the lipid nanoparticles that coat the MRA and DNA in these experimental shots. They knew that three years ago. All of the damages shown in pink are the damages to women's ovaries and hormone production. It damages the developing eggs called oocytes. It means women who are born with all the eggs they will ever have in their lifetime those eggs or oocytes are damaged with the inflammation and nanoparticles concentrating in the ovaries. And Dr. Yeadon talked about the paper uh, that was done by Pfizer. So this is Pfizer public data given to the Japanese government in a study requested by the Japanese government in early 2020 before the experimental shots were released. That biodistribution study Pfizer did for the Japanese regulatory authorities showed that these nanoparticles after vaccination concentrated in the ovaries 20 times higher than other organs of the body. And let's just clear this up, Dr. Lee. So what does, this is pre-COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. So yes. what, how is this linked to the COVID-19 vaccine? Mar- well, the biodistribution study for Japan was done with these experimental vaccines. But not the actual COVID-19 one? Yes. No, that is the one they were doing the study on because Japan would not allow them to even consider using it on emergency use in Japan. So they were already looking at this with their experimental products that were oh. in development. I see. Okay. Okay. I, I thanks for clearing that up. And so what else do you want to say about this graph? I think that the important thing is to realize for men and women, there isn't a single aspect of the function of your testes in men and your ovaries in women that doesn't risk damage by these lipid nanoparticles in the experimental shot. This is why it's so risky for reproductive age people when they're not at risk of dying of COVID. Young people under 50 simply don't get very sick from COVID if they don't, if they're not obese, and have diabetes or lung disease or kidney disease, then they really have very mild illnesses that are quickly treatable with either nutritional supplements, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, and acetylcysteine, quercetin are the big ones, or early treatment with some of the antivirals, anti-inflammatories, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, azithromycin, inhaled corticosteroids like budesonide. These young people under 50 are 
very quickly treated in the first three days of symptoms, have a mild illness and go on about their business and are naturally immune. It's the elderly and people with serious medical conditions that are at risk of getting hospitalized or dying if they don't get early treatment. But even those in my practice, all of my patients got early treatment in the first three to five days of symptoms. And I didn't have anybody, even even people with those medical conditions, I did not have anybody go in the hospital or die. Early treatment is the key. You don't need to take the risk of the experimental vaccine if you have early treatment or prevention with the things we've talked about. And we have a free guide to early COVID treatment, options for staying out of the hospital to save your life on our website. Go to truthforhealth.org. There's a treatment tab on the home page. Click on that and you'll see the early home treatment guide. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So tell us, you know, there's a spike in cases in places like Florida and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we hear about young people dying and, and um, even children getting sick from, from COVID. Can, can you comment on that a little bit? Well, a lot of what you're hearing in the media are media exaggerations. I just looked at two examples where one was the media reporting on a healthy 16-year-old um, male who died. He was over 300 pounds. Wow. His blood sugar was 1,000 in the reports. If you call a 300, and, 300 to 350 pound, they couldn't weigh him because he, the scale didn't go that high, 16-year-old with a blood sugar over 1,000 when it should be less than 100, you call that healthy, then you're just flat out lying. So the media is distorting what they are saying. Yes, he was 16, but I, he just fit all the criteria I just told you for high risk. Plus, they deny early treatment to these patients when they could be saved, and they wait until they are critically ill with inflammation and, and blood clots are forming, and then wonder why they don't make it out of the hospital. We never, we've never in my career insisted that patients go home and get sicker before we do anything to help them. That too is unconscionable and they're killing people with those policies and telling people there's no early treatment. That's a flat out lie. We have been treating people successfully with all this combination of medicines for the entire time of the pandemic. I, I, I've never seen it in my history of almost 30 years in pharmacy, I have never seen any disease treated like this before where, where medical professionals, doctors, um, doctors that are supposedly experts and great clinicians are not treating people for disease um, until, they, in, until they're obviously in the hospital and, and, and really sick. And I've never seen it before either where there are doctors out there that are saying that they will refuse to treat COVID patients if they are not vaccinated. Can you comment on that? I, I think that's a, a violation of our entire medical ethics. Never Again, never in my career have we had people not treated because of a political belief or a bad lifestyle decision. That would be analogous to saying, 
okay, the trauma team is not going to treat any car accident victim if they didn't wear their seatbelt. Yeah, great analogy. And or to say, okay, we're not going to treat anyone in a car accident if they had a blood alcohol that was elevated. Fine. Or or say we're not going to treat any diabetic that you know eats horribly. Yeah, exactly. Or we're not going to treat lung cancer with a patient that smokes. That's exactly right. It, to apply this devastating ethical violation with the vaccination issue across the board in medicine would mean we didn't treat anybody because Americans have terrible lifestyle habits. Right. And all of us do things at time that contribute to our health risk. So why why even be a doctor at all if you're going to apply those kinds of guidelines to your work? That's that. I tell you what, these doctors are going to get sued for malpractice. And it may not be right away, but it's coming because they are violating medical duty to their patients. There's a legal term called patient abandonment. When you tell a patient you're not going to treat them and they're established under your care, you have a legal responsibility to refer them for treatment right away if you're not going to treat them or if they're if you can't, if it's not your specialty. But if you make statements about, well, I'm not going to treat you if you didn't get the vaccine, that's that's setting yourself up for a malpractice suit and patient abandonment in huge ways. I'm surprised that the malpractice carriers are not coming down on doctors who are making public statements to that effect. Yeah, but do you think that's political, too? I mean, honestly, I'm sure it is. It's one of the reasons that lawyers are not uh, the big plaintiffs law firms are not taking these cases because they don't want to risk political damage and losing other clients for the big bucks they get. Right. Right. It's mostly, you know, who's really saving patients lives and who's advocating for patients now? Independent lawyers working round the clock and independent doctors and independent pharmacists. The big pharmacy chains, again, despicable corporate policy at CVS and Rite Aid to, inter to direct their pharmacists to interfere with doctors' prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin if the pharmacist suspects that it's for COVID. I have literally had pharmacists threaten to report me to the medical board because they suspected I was writing a prescription for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin for COVID. We just had an email. I just had an email come from um, the Department of the Department of Health through the Board of Pharmacy um, in my email that basically said it didn't say that it's illegal to prescribe ivermectin, but they basically said that um, if they feel that a, a, a prescriber is violating you know, um, I don't know, I don't know how they worded it, but if they're violating um, some kind of, um, they didn't say law, but anyway, they, they basically, they in this said, you know, report them to the Department of Health, basically. So that our, our Department of Pharmacy in, in the Department of Health in Washington State is suggesting that pharmacists report prescribers to the Department of Health if they think there's some kind of funny prescribing going on that, that, they might not agree with. Exactly right. And the key words are 
if they think that they may not agree with. That is tortious. Uh, the lawyers working with our foundation have explained the legal principle. That is tortious interference with the physician's legal contract with the patient to meet, to prescribe for the patient they have evaluated. You and I know quite well that you don't sit in the pharmacy and evaluate patients medically. And so if you as a pharmacist think a dose is a mistake or you see a drug interaction that the doctor may not have recognized or didn't know about, because a lot of patients don't tell their doctors everything they're taking. But if you as a pharmacist see those kinds of red flags, of course you have an ethical responsibility and, and a legal one to contact the, the prescriber and say, did you realize, is this dose correct? Is this what you meant? And we have, you know, because I have patients that are rapid metabolizers that metabolize some of the FDA approved estradiol products more rapidly than usual, or they exercise mm -hmm. a lot and they metabolize it faster than what the manufacturer says for elderly, obese, menopausal women. Um, you know, I'll get questions like that from the pharmacy and I just say, no, I'm monitoring this patient. This dose is correct. She's a rapid metabolizer. We've tracked that the patch doesn't last that long and she can't use two patches a week. She needs three, for example. Okay. So that's a perfectly legitimate question, but to refuse to fill a prescription, I have done after evaluating the patient, checking their labs, going over all of their clinical findings and what the patient needs that I think they need and what the patient wants to do for their medical care. To have a pharmacist step in the, in the, in the middle and say, well, I'm not going to fill that because I don't think it's correct or I don't agree with it. Well, I think you kind of hit on it earlier. Um, that's why it's important to pick an independent physician, an independent pharmacist, and we all three work in a team together called the triad. It's the pharmacist, the patient, and, and the doctor. And that's how we should work. Unfortunately, at big corporate pharmacies, they don't really know who the patient is personally. Usually, there's exceptions to that rule. They don't really know who the doctor is prescribing. There's exceptions to that rule. But I know in my pharmacy, we know our prescribers, we know our doctors, and we know our patients. No, and you're right. important and to pick a good doctor and good pharmacist. Go ahead, Dr. Lee, sorry. I'm sorry. There is actually a good analogy with medicine because these large primary care practices of, you know, 10, 12, 15, 25 doctors are owned by big hospital health systems. And their administrative people who are not medical people direct the doctors what they can and cannot do. They sure do. So, Dr. Lee, I know that you've uh, got an interview later um, in a few minutes, too. So you gotta, you got to wrap this up. So I'm going to go ahead and stream um, Truth for Truth for Health um, found, Truth for Health uh, org Foundation. Tell us a little bit about this and tell us about the, the interview that's going on today. Well, you just scroll the link to the pregnancy and fertility threats press conference last week. Today's press conference is 
Truth for Health Foundation, a public charity serving the public good. We are the voice of the people. We are having our third press conference, and this is announcing that we're setting up a Citizens Vaccine Safety Review Board because the FDA and CDC have failed to do that and are not warning the public about the risk and the developing escalating deaths and medical complications and fertility and pregnancy threats and damage from these experimental shots. There have been no updates and the FDA just swept all of this under the rug in their recent approval of the COVID shot. And that's a very complicated topic with a lot of deception that you and I should tease out and do a podcast on to explain what the FDA did because it's it's complicated and it's hard for the public to understand and how it's being misrepresented in the media. Well, go ahead and do a little teaser right now and we will. We'll have you on again to talk more about the FDA approval. Go ahead and talk about that real quick. Well, basically, the, the FDA took the existing, what's called the Pfizer shot, under the emergency use authorization, and they split it into two different licenses that are legal classifications in the, in the FDA. They gave Pfizer a continuation under the emergency use authorization. Now, remember, this is the same thing that's been given to millions of Americans already. But they split it up on an arbitrary legal classification. So Pfizer got continued on the emergency use authorization and BioNTech, the partner in the one that people have been getting under the name of Pfizer, is given approval for people over 16 with the proviso that they do five years of safety study on myocarditis, which is what should be done before approval, not right. after. Wow. If you read, Sean, as a pharmacist, if you read the package insert that the FDA just approved for the BioNTech product, which they conveniently named a different name to confuse the public. And so if you read that package insert, you've never seen a package insert with such limited data. There's no animal data. There's no information on effects on cancer. There's no information on potential damage to a developing baby called teratogenesis, teratogenicity. And you will be shocked at what's missing from that package insert. And that's a whole half hour segment that we could talk about. Basically, the FDA did a shell game of deception and subterfuge to the public because by continuing the EUA, they provide a liability shield for the manufacturer. So nobody can sue for damages except the private businesses that are mandating it as an experimental agent, which is illegal under our constitution and, and under the Nuremberg Code and a whole lot of other things. So that's a liability shield on the one hand. And guess what? 
most of the people going forward are going to be getting the Pfizer version that wasn't approved because that's where all the supplies are. And BioNTech, as the newer version or tweaking or renaming, however they you'd like to look at it, right. there's not a lot of supplies of that one. So now they're using approval of one to push for mandates and give cover to the employers that are chomping at the bit to infringe on freedoms and mandate this vaccine, which isn't a vaccine really under the definition. And then they're giving cover on the liability by continuing the EUA, but it's the EUA version that where all the supplies are that they're going to still be using. And they even said that in the press conference. But then what the media is reporting is Pfizer shot is full approved which is flat out false. The Pfizer in the FDA documents and most most consumers are gonna have their heads spinning trying to figure out the confusing language in these FDA documents. So most people aren't gonna go read it. But the FDA, we've got them. The FDA documents very clear. The letter to Pfizer from the FDA does not give full approval. The Pfizer shot itself is not fully approved. Right. And here's one of the things too, and I know you got to wrap this up, but you know, there's multiple vaccines out there, um, Moderna, J&J, Pfizer, and there's a little bit of different schedules for each one of them. And yeah, thanks for clearing up. It's really not a vaccine. You're right. It's gene therapy. Um, it's not a vaccine in the true sense. And the average patient, they don't know. They just go to their doctor because or a hospital or a pharmacy or whatever, because they were told to get the va vaccine. They don't really know which one they're getting, honestly. I mean, they, they, they probably do possibly, but they're all, they're all being linked, linked, lumped into one. Um, and they're really not, I mean, they are all different entities and people need to know that. Um, yet, you know, can you comment on that really quick? No, I think that's very true. But the bottom line, I think they are very confused and they don't, they've been, they've been deceived. Right. It's not a true vaccine. It falls under the FDA classification of gene therapy. It says it in the name. mRNA and DNA are gene therapy agents that normally require 15 years of follow-up under the FDA regulations. FDA ignored all of that to the public's detriment. And so there's that aspect. But the bottom line for your listeners, Sean, there's a class effect on all four of the vaccines that they're calling vaccines that are currently available, that are marketed to people, pushing them to get it for COVID-19. The class effect is they all trick the body into making the spike protein and triggering inflammation and increase the risk of blood clots. Inflammation and spike proteins circulating around your body and blood clots forming are characteristic complications of all of them. To Absolutely. based on your individual susceptibility. And awesome. people don't know the blood clots are forming because the doctors are not checking C-reactive protein and D-dimer, which are two simple blood tests I'm now checking in all my patients because I'm worried about the fact that they are developing micro blood clots and nobody's looking for it. Exactly. Well, I, I thank you so much for educating uh, me and our listeners and viewers. You have definitely achieved our goal 
uh, of this podcast of basically educating and empowering patients to take charge of their own health. They've got to make their own personal decisions to take care of their own health and be proactive in their own health. So I appreciate it so much, Dr. Lee. We will definitely have you on because this is a continuing saga. I keep thinking that this COVID thing is going to go away. So we're not going to be able to talk about it anymore, but it just keeps coming back and back. And I think it's what the media and the government wants as a narrative. They just keep it coming back. So thank you for speaking truth. Um, listeners and viewers, go to truth for, um, truthforhealth.org. Uh, that, that is a, a wonderful site. Uh, you can get a hold of Dr. Lee that way also and find out what's going on there. So Dr. Lee, in the last few seconds, what would you like to uh, end the podcast with? I would like your listeners to join our crusade of the voiceless. You've been silenced. Doctors and pharmacists who speak out have been silenced. Join us. Sign up on our website to get our alerts. Participate. Tell your story. If you're having side effects of the vaccine, we have a Citizens Vaccine Safety Review Board set up, chaired by Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Paul Alexander. We are going to be taking this very seriously, and we report to the public. We don't answer to anyone else. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for being on our show. Thank you.